Back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, I'm joined by ESPN NFL insider Field Yates. We're going to break down Miami's free agency from the talent added, the contract value, and how Brian Flores and Chris Greer are doing on the team building side of things. All of that and more on this Wednesday, March the 25th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins Let's not waste any time off the top of the show here and get right to my interview with ESPN's Field Yates. And joining the Drive Time Podcast now is ESPN NFL insider Field Yates. Field, thanks for joining me today, man. I appreciate you, Travis. And I don't know if I'm uh, the first welcome, but allow me to be amongst the initial wave of welcomes with you in the new gig. Looking forward to following along, as I'm sure you do great coverage covering the team this upcoming year. It's greatly appreciated, Field. We talked a little bit off air about my Washington phone number. Not quite down to South Florida <laughs> yet because I, I can't relocate right now because of all the stuff going on. So I wanted to ask you a similar question. How are you holding up right now, man? Like, this is a time of year where your job does not allow you to hunker down. How are you and yours doing? Yeah, well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, maybe the better person to ask would be my wife. Yeah. We're uh, <laughs> sitting here in a small uh, apartment uh probably built for more like one and a quarter people, enough people, enough room for us to uh, share time um, normally after work. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting an, an utilization of every square inch of our podcast of, of our, of our apartment now this week, whether it's doing podcasts or uh, her doing her work uh, from her mobile setup, uh, you name it, we're figuring out ways to get through, but obviously keep in mind all the people more adversely affected by, what's taking place with this global pandemic right now and discovering new areas of your home, probably the way we all are right now being stuck inside. And it's obviously impacted the way you've conducted your business, but what about teams in the national football league right now with these restrictions and free agents, not being able to come down and meet their new teammates. How are teams getting all this crucial work that has to be done this time of year without the normal amenities they normally have? Yeah. Well, let's trace back to when the NFL made the decision to power through with free agency at the normal time. And the NFL's thinking was sort of twofold. One was that this is largely an event that takes place remotely as it is. Now, not that it's the same this year, but a lot of times it's general managers and head coaches communicating from their own team facilities to agents of prospective free agents, and sometimes the players as well. So that was part of it. And the second part of it was that, you know, this Right at the time that the NFL made its decision, you know, we knew a little bit about how this pandemic was going to impact us. But who's to say that a week from now, which would actually still not be the, I guess it would be just about a week into, or two weeks into free agency, who knows where we will be? It could be that we're pushing our timeline back further and further and further, and we shall see. So I would just say that teams uh, were largely prepared for free agency until about a week before free agency. It does impact their ability to conduct medical evaluations and certainly impacts the ability to have players in for visits. And we can get sort of specific on some of the players that I believe it has impacted. But for the most part, we've seen if you were to go to anybody's top 100 free agents list that 
you know, somewhere between 80 and 85 of them have come off the board. So things have largely gone on as expected. And nobody was more active in free agency than the Miami Dolphins. And we'll get to that here in just a second, Field. But first, I want to go back to your time with the Patriots organization because there was some overlap there with new Dolphins head coach Brian Flores. And from that lens, what can you tell us about Miami's second-year head coach? Yeah, well, it's it's crazy to think this, but uh, my first summer spending some time with the Patriots was actually right when Brian B. Flo had gotten hired uh, into the Patriots personnel department, and I'm sure Dolphins fans are well aware of the fact that he hasn't just coached uh, on defense, he's also coached on offense, he's contributed on special teams, he's uh, worked in the scouting department, so uh, really uh, the beginning of checking off all the boxes that make him really well equipped to becoming uh, an NFL head coach. And uh, Brian had played, uh, obviously, collegiately uh, at Boston College, and that happens to be the area where I am from. So I had a little bit of a background on him as a player. Um, and, you know, what immediately stands out about B. Flo is certainly he's determined, certainly he is humble. Um, I think anytime you are new, and I was the same way myself somewhere, you have you know, a somewhat of a, you, know, you, you might have a more reserved quality about you, but it doesn't take long for someone to really understand that Flo was the kind of person that not only did others gravitate towards, but you could see real leadership qualities in him. And there are a lot of different forms of leadership. And some of that is how you work. And I think it was apparently, or it was apparent right away that um, it was going to be hard to outwork him. It was going to be hard to outstudy him and sort of see things in the way that he did because he had such a unique background of having played the game at a high level uh, and you know, nearly having an NFL career on his own and then coming into the scouting world and quickly becoming uh, you know, pretty adept in that regard before he eventually became an assistant coach on the Patriots staff, which led to his rather meteoric rise. And we, we've talked a lot about Brian Flores on this podcast, especially with all the new free agents and doing interviews with those guys. A lot of them, to a man, pointed to the fact that Brian Flores and what he did last year with his Dolphins team was a big selling point on them coming to Miami. But Chris Greer, though he himself is always going to call this more of a collaborative effort and not accept the praise, but rather deflect the praise to his staff that he has around them throughout the front office. But at the end of the day, he is the GM. So what do you feel make of Greer's ability to acquire all this capital and then ultimately spend it as the Dolphins have so far through one week of free agency? Yeah, and, and I'll get to Chris Greer in a second. But just to close the circle on, on Brian Flores, I just think you'd be hard-pressed to find uh, a person with higher character than him uh, coaching in the NFL ranks right now. And having seen him uh, somewhat recently, you know, I think what's, what's really neat and apparent is that the same person that was humble and hungry uh, as an entry-level uh, member of the Patriots scouting department is the same person that you see now who's one of 32 head coaches and quickly emerging as someone that people realize is going to be a star in this league, a family man, uh, a true friend, and somebody that I think Dolphins fans already appreciate, but they'll even appreciate more and more going forward. So they're in great hands there, and I think that you'll – the same way about Chris Greer. And one thing that I, and I, I don't have uh, a personal relationship with Chris in the way that I did spend time with uh, Brian Flores, but I think what's apparent is that in the NFL, and it's not always obvious, but I would say that one of the roles that, that I have in my job is to try to do my best job of assessing 
plans and what teams intend to do. Now, not that they owe it to us to explain every single decision, but it became clear quickly last year what the Dolphins' plan was going to be. And it was going to be about program fits. It was going to be about collecting future capital. It was going to be about taking a bunch of swings on either low-cost or low-risk players last year and hoping that some of those players could become foundation pieces for the roster going forward. And I think Chris Greer was really shrewd and smart last year in acquiring a ton of players, not just through the waiver system, but also players through practice squads of other teams. And, you know, practice squad players, although they are not on the active roster, in a lot of cases, they're guys that just get buried for one reason or another, whether it's a log jam at the position whether it's just a simple numbers game, whether it's an injury in training camp that sets them back a little bit. There are a lot of reasons, and I thought it was really impressive to see a bunch of players that were acquired that either made meaningful contributions last year or you can tell will eventually make meaningful contributions for the Dolphins. And now to spin things forward to free agency is that you know this is sort of wave two. If last year was wave one, wave two is, all right, We've cleared the decks. We've basically rid ourselves of every onerous contract on the books. We enter free agency with about as much cap space as we can need, some clear and obvious um, positions of need, and then you just sort of look at how they attacked those. You know, they certainly spent big on Byron Jones, who's a player who fits, I mean, really every roster, but certainly fits their roster um, and, and need in a major, major way. Um, but besides that, all the deals, now certainly there was a lot of money spent, but three to four years in length for a lot of them. And I thought that there was a common thread of players with excellent leadership, production. I thought character was an obvious priority for the Dolphins and guys that, you know, um, I think they still have prime football years ahead of them. I think a lot of these guys are ascending young players. Shaq Lawson can be a guy that can become an even better player. Eric Flowers had a renaissance season last year. Kyle Van Noy will know the defense as well as anybody right away. So a lot of players that I think are borderline seamless fits for the Dolphins, which is important during what figures to be a, I mean, it already is an unprecedented offseason calendar. We got Field Yates here of ESPN on the Drive Time podcast with Travis Wingfield, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network and field. We talk about the free agency lure the Dolphins have here with Brian Flores and the success they had last season and certainly Chris Greer was able to kind of create the space to make that happen in free agency and then and Flores was the one that attracted the players but then Greer is the one that helped acquire this draft capital you talk about market opportunities you know getting two first round picks in the Tunzel trade and a second round draft pick I mean that's what quarterbacks go for around the league most of the time you get a pick from the Pittsburgh Steelers from Minka Fitzpatrick at the time they were 0-3 without their starting quarterback so that looked like maybe it could have been a top 10 pick. So you have to give him credit for the idea of taking advantage of market opportunities. And that's kind of the approach of the Dolphins offseason. But I want to get kind of a holistic view of this team right now because you mentioned the contract structures. The, the Byron Jones is the, the primary big deal the Dolphins had. But we also have all these players that are 29 and younger. Eight of the 10 signings the Dolphins made this offseason were 27 years and younger. So what do you say about the idea that these second year or the second contracts rather for players where sometimes maybe free agency can be can be a bit of a fool's gold? What do you make of the Dolphins approach and being so aggressive and attacking that young nucleus in free agency? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, you know, th- th- listen, let's be honest. There's schools golden free agency every year and sometimes for every team. So I don't want to say that every move that I like this offseason is going to wind, out, wind up working exactly as it was uh, intended to, at least, or how I thought it would. But I would just say that I'm a very much process-driven person. Um, in our evaluation. And to your point, all of these contracts are guys that, you know, there's a golden rule of scouting that applies to free agency as well, is you cannot pay players for prior performance. You have to pay them for future production. Um, And yes, prior performance helps us establish a market for these players, but this can't be, you know, basically a reward system. It can't be a ribbon that these players wear. Hey, four years and a reported $51 million for Kyle Van Noy. No, it's all right. Going forward, do you believe that Kyle Van Noy is going to be a guy that in the course of a game is going to be able to rush the passer, set the edge as a run defender, drop in coverage, be a stand-up linebacker? He's going to be able to communicate. He could be a captain of your team. He could play on special teams if you need him to. Is he going to be good with the ball in his hands if the other scoops and uh, scoops up a fumble, picks off a pass? All of those things are clear and apparent. So um, I think the Dolphins were wise in the investment strategy and uh, guys that I think uh, they will age well and the contracts accordingly will age well, especially as we know that the, you know, the, the cap is going to go up year over year. And when you look across the league field, you can kind of notice that certain teams put a certain amount of resources. Like I've always heard from the Move the Sticks podcast, for instance, a team is going to tell you what's important to them based upon where they allocate their resources. And the Dolphins now have the richest defensive back room in the entire National Football League. And you look at like the Chiefs, for instance, the highest paid wide receiver corps there to supplement their MVP quarterback. We saw the Raiders last year make big improvements on the offensive side of the ball and the running game and in pass protection by solidifying the offensive line with the highest paid line in football and you mentioned Byron Jones and I want to kind of circle back to that the highest paid defensive backroom in football Byron Jones Xavier Howard Eric Rowe got a contract extension last year what do you make of the Dolphins practice there and the fact that they play more man coverage than just about any team in the league fourth last year in the NFL yeah so certainly you got to have cover cornerbacks that you can cover you can tar- trust excuse me in man-to-man coverage, and Byron Jones was one of the most sought-after players in free agency. It doesn't surprise me that he got the money that he got. So let's just establish a couple of things from Byron Jones that I think are important for fans that may not be as familiar with his career. He's got two interceptions in five seasons, and, you know, matter. I, I, I get it. It's not – yes, there are other players that have had plenty more uh, interceptions, but stats without context are not useful stats whatsoever if you go back and look at some seasons there were seasons where Darrell Revis who for my money was as dominant a player as you'd probably see in a lot of years there was a season where he went without a single interception I mean he was a a, a single interception in a pro bowl level year so you got to look at whether teams are daring to test a player at the cornerback spot so I think the Byron Jones checks a lot of the right boxes for man-to-man coverage ability a guy that certainly um, is, uh, you know, again, high character, a player that's incredibly athletic. We all remember his combine performance for uh, out of UConn uh, five or so years ago. He was terrific at the time, and it may still stand. The, uh, he set the, pro- the broad jump record. So uh, the Dolphins have invested a lot of money in the cornerback spots, and 
You know, the best way to help your pass rush is to have a great secondary. The best way to help your secondary is to have a great pass rush. So I think the Dolphins have sort of worked in tandem this offseason. If your best pass rushers now look more like potentially Kyle Van Noy and also uh, Shaq Lawson with Byron Jones and Xavier Howard in the back end, I think that both units have a chance to be improved relative to where they were last season. And how do you kind of how do you compartmentalize what the Dolphins did in that front seven in terms of the players they got and the scheme fits they have for those players? Because we look at Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba, seven of the Dolphins' ten offseason acquisitions so far were in the trenches up front, and of those seven, five on the defensive side of the football. But I want to get your opinion because Brian Flores, what he calls his positionless defense, like we had Patrick Graham here last year mention that he stopped using a. Uh, position distinctions when he drew up plays in the whiteboard and just went with X's and O's because guys don't have nailed down positions. So with that in mind and how they want to create this pass rush through, you know, the radar look or various looks up front with even fronts and odd fronts, multiple looks, how do Van Noy and Lawson and Ogba and these guys fit into a defensive scheme that Brian Flores wants to run? Yeah, certainly uh, in a lot of ways, I think what you said is pretty much right on the money because if you look at the way that the NFL changes year over year. I mean, this past season, during the regular season, the most unstoppable offense was led by a quarterback in Lamar Jackson who became the first ever to throw for 1,000 yards and also, uh, excuse me, throw for 3,000 yards and run for 1,000-plus yards uh, in the same season. And if you've got guys who are two-down linebackers and – um, you know, guys that are more along as, you know, players that are more thumpers, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to keep up with these elite electric athletes. You need guys that can kind of be a little bit of everything. So I think it's a smart way of distinguishing things is that, you know, ultimately secondary players are going to have to coverage are going to have to cover, excuse me. They're also going to have to be willing tacklers are going to have to be, uh, you know, able and, 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 and smart enough to make coverage adjustments, whether it's switching, whether it's, Concepts high, low, inside, outside. There's a lot of intelligence required. So um, I think it's fair. I mean, listen, I, I don't think we can totally do, do away with position in the sense that, you know, it's not like Byron Jones is going to be in a three-point stance much <laughs> next year, if ever. But uh, certainly it's important that you have versatile players that kind of get um, that, you know, regardless of what their position is on the roster, the official team website roster, if they can't be counted on to do a little bit of everything, a week in and week out, it's kind of not really uh, what the coaching staff can count on week in and week out or can, cut, can count on on a play-by-play basis. Phil Yates here on the Drive Time Podcast from ESPN. He also co-hosts the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You guys can find that wherever you get your podcast from. And on that vein, talking about fantasy football, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about some running back action here because the Dolphins also acquired former Eagles and Bears running back Jordan Howard. And I watched this guy run field behind a zone blocking scheme for the most part. And that symbiotic relationship that he has with his offensive line and the smarts and the intelligence to know when to bend, bang, or bounce it. I'm curious to get your thought for his fit and what Chan Gailey might want to do on offense this year for the Dolphins. Yeah, you know, I would just say that uh, it's hard to to actually just spend some time with Chan in Kansas City. It was a very brief time um, together, but you know, got to know Chan and such a nice, uh, thoughtful person. Didn't uh, have any time with him. He was was just there during the offseason when I was there, but a guy that certainly has accomplished a lot in this league, been around for a long time, both as a head coach and a coordinator as well. So I'll speak more to what I think Jordan's value is as opposed to how I know specifically what will all come together 
uh, with this scheme. I think there's still a lot of moving parts here is, you know, last year, as I'm sure is well documented or well known by your listeners, you know, Fitzy led the team in rushing. And that's rare for a quarterback to lead a team in rushing. And that was the case. And it was only 243 yards. You bring in somebody like Jordan Howard and not that the team can't keep adding more players. I figure they will um, at the running back spot, but certainly feels like Jordan Howard is in a prime spot to make a huge leap this year uh, for the Dolphins just because of the work share. Right. I mean, as of right now, he looks like he's in line for close to 20 touches per game and certainly a guy uh, that in the past has been able to handle a large load and uh, been productive with multiple thousand yard seasons and a good landing spot for him in Miami. And with covering the offense and defense here on this podcast so far field, the Dolphins also made a couple of acquisitions and former special teams captains and Clayton Fedulum and Kamu Grugier Hill. I, I'm, I'm working on that one still, but they got these two special teams <laughs> captains that have come to Miami. What can that type of leadership in terms of the team captain and third team prowess do for a roster and an entire football team? Yeah, I'm glad you brought those guys up. Clayton and Kamu, special teams guys that have been, you know, they've, and by the way, they've, you know, Kamu played some defense for, for, the, for the Eagles as well, but some familiarity there having begun his career in New England. But let's start here. Um, leadership comes in a lot of different forms. The difference between the star players on offense and defense and the star players on special teams is that special team star players are closer to the bubble than offensive or defensive players are year in and year out. And that is not to say that Kamu or Clayton are any threat of not making the roster. Of course they are. They're going to be a big part of what the Dolphins do this season. But leadership for special teams, guys, is really special because players that actually are on the bubble, whether it's a fifth cornerback or a sixth linebacker or a backup defensive lineman or you name it, those players are going to look to those guys who are, you know, life and limb every single day and doing whatever it takes to continue to secure their roster spot. And guys that um, are willing to do some of the toughest assignments in football. I mean, you play only a mile and a million miles an hour on special teams and Certainly you are, uh, it's some of the plays are some of the highest contact in the sport. It's a very selfless role to take on. So I think both Clayton and Kamu are going to be big parts of what the Dolphins do in the kicking game. And those are the kind of guys you can never have enough of on your roster because you know you're going to get their very best every single play. Yeah, you plug their tape on and they are 100 miles an hour all the time, defense or special teams. It's a lot of fun to watch. And those are the back end of the free agency signings here we talked about. And with free agency winding down and the draft just a month away, it's coming. Miami have 14 draft picks and have really opened up the flexibility options for where they can go on those picks. So from a league perspective field, how... How kind of envious would the league be of being in a position like that where you have so many draft picks and a way that you can kind of control the draft with those 14 picks? Yeah, well, I don't want to say it gives you the right to do whatever you want to do, but it puts you in a really good spot to basically take any approach that you do want. And, you know, I think the first overall pick in Joe Burrow is off the table. I think that Cincinnati is committed to that pick, and I'd be very, very surprised if it wasn't Joe, but. As we sit here right now, and this is a Tuesday, March 24th conversation, I think a lot of people understand that um, the next wave of quarterbacks includes Tua Tagovailoa and Justin Herbert and Jordan Love as well. And if the Dolphins are in the market for a quarterback that can maybe be their guy as soon as this year, but perhaps 
at the very least uh, at the start of 2021. And those are some of the names you got to keep an eye on. And you just look at the quarterback landscape right now, teams that might be ahead of them in the draft um, or that, that might be at least targeting a quarterback. Well, the answer is nobody. It's more of the threat from the team behind them, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the possibility of them trying to move up in this draft to uh, take a quarterback that could be a future you know, 10-year starter. So I would say that the Dolphins have the ammo to move up in the order. And then you can always find ways to – I shouldn't say you can always, but um, I think it's a lot less sexy to move down in the draft order, right? I mean, um, you move down and acquire extra picks. Certainly that gives you even more flexibility. But, um, you know, I think moving up is ten, tends to be the more audacious move that people uh, fixate on. So um, I think if the Dolphins want to be aggressive and move up to slot two or slot three – then they at least have the capital to make a formidable offer to uh, any teams they negotiate with. So if that were to happen, if the Dolphins were to make an aggressive move to go up the draft board, this is a kind of conversation that changes every year in terms of the value because we've seen a variety of compensation for those moves up the board, whether it was the Bears going up one spot for Trubisky, which isn't a whole lot, but Sam Darnold in the Jets trade with the Colts, three second round picks to go up three spots. You go back to 2012, the RG3 trade, that was a bounty of draft picks. How do teams try to figure out what the fair value is and how do you work work that value when you're, when you're maybe bargaining against someone else, like a team picking right behind you, for instance. Yeah, I, I think really you made the, I think all the examples you gave um, remind us that it's impossible to say right. what the compensation will be, right? We just don't know. I mean, if the, let's just say they negotiate with the Redskins at pick two, because the Redskins, and I, I think personally this is unlikely, but they're toying with the idea of taking a quarterback. Well, then it might cost a steeper price or, Maybe they're the only ones talking to the Redskins. Well, then it might not cost this team of a price. But if you've got multiple teams that are um, competing for one draft slot, then it's just a little bit different. So I don't know that I can say in a vacuum what it would cost um, or how much I expect it to cost. Uh, there's a lot of variables, and we're still 30 days away from the draft. But you know, I just would say that it just takes a little bit of logic to understand that your radar should be up. Um, on the possibility of the Dolphins making a trade. And if it is, in fact, a quarterback the Dolphins select with their first pick in this year's draft, first of 14 draft picks they do currently possess, we had some offensive skill players with some breakout seasons last year from Devontae Parker over 1,200 yards. Mike Gesicki scored a bunch of touchdowns down the stretch, and Preston Williams was really getting things going before his injury. And since you do host a fantasy football podcast field, what do you make of this Dolphins skill positions out wide from that fantasy perspective? Yeah, Devontae Parker was awesome, and he'll be drafted as such this upcoming year with a little bit more stability in his spots. And certainly uh, all of his production this past season was so, so good. And certainly a guy that, um, you know, fulfilled the potential that they saw in him uh, when they took him, I believe, 14th overall when he initially came out of Louisville. So he'll be drafted accordingly. And I think Mike Kosicki will be a player that will also be drafted, uh, you know, as a starter at his position in fantasy football this year. And then you know, I think beyond that, it's still an evolving picture. You know, Preston Williams was really, really promising uh, last year before his injury, but there are a lot of questions to answer there to see if he's fully up to speed because of that injury issue last year. He is the ESPN insider and co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football podcast, Field Yates. You can find him on Twitter at Field Yates. Really appreciate your time today, man. All right. Thanks so much for having me on. Good luck and looking forward to catching up again at some point soon. 
Goes, Field Yates of ESPN. What a great interview that was. That's a good spot to go ahead and button up this podcast with a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. And follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Time, fins up. Time, fins up.